most people don't understand what a balance sheet is, but for those that don't know is you have your assets, what you own, and you have your liabilities, what you owe. And the difference is your net worth. And so people get this confused a little bit is an asset is think of a bank account, your cash, right? Think of a car, think of a house, the values of those, if you sold it today, the liabilities are, you know, the mortgage on your house. So if you owe 200,000, it's not the monthly payment that would be on your budget, but it's actually the total balances. What's good, everyone? Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 69 of Highly Invested, where we invest in ourselves, talk about personal growth, and we ask entrepreneurs and high performers about the best investments they made in themselves that helped get them to where they are today. And before we start this episode, I need to plug my new YouTube series, Reality Check Cannabis in 2020. It's an eight-episode edutainment series on the cannabis plant and the new budding cannabis industry in general. It's a little passion project of mine and my effort to help eliminate the negative stigma created over the years by the failed war on drugs that wrongfully associated the most versatile plant on the planet with crime and violence as an excuse to arrest minorities to fill the prison system. Since the natural progression of time has led us to rediscover its medicinal benefits and created a recreational industry that started in Canada with the U.S. next in line, the best time to consider investing is now. So tune into my YouTube channel at Make More Capital or search Reality Check Cannabis in 2020 to learn about the top U.S. and Canadian cannabis companies right now so you can pick the front runner to invest in and cash in on the upcoming Green Rush. Hey everybody, so today on the show we've got the content creator behind the account Budget Dog on Instagram. So he's a certified professional accountant by day and a financial educator by night who's grown his community to over 10,000 large on Instagram. So today we're going to learn about his story, what inspired him to start his IG account to give back, and what the future holds for Budget Dog. So everyone, please welcome Brennan Schlagbaum on the show. How are you doing today, Brennan? Good, Jordan. Doing awesome. I'm excited to be here. This is my first official podcast. Is it? Hey, yes. Glad to pop that cherry for you. I'm ready for it. And did you know it's actually episode 69? Yeah. Hey, hey. Not get too naughty. That, that, yeah, exactly, right? No, but uh, all good, man. I, I, I like to bring people on that are at least just doing something to give back and trying to educate, you know, not necessarily expecting to get paid for it. So it's cool. And that's why I wanted to to chat and learn more. So firstly, I love the name Budget Dog. It's like, it's a fun, great, great branding idea. So what led to that name? So maybe dating, dating back a year and a half ago, uh, my wife and I were talking about things we could do on the side to, you know, bring extra income in while also helping people. And so, you know, as a CPA, I was pretty busy because I was at, I was at Deloitte, a big four CPA firm, and I still am there um, as a manager. So my time was limited. And so we started thinking and brainstorming some ideas, came across, you know, Instagram is the way I've been, you know, I was kind of helping people on the side locally for, you know, family and friends for quite some time before that, but I wanted to reach as many people as I possibly could. So I took it to Instagram, took it to social media, and I figured out, you know, how can I actually make this an account? Because I've had, I had social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook before on a personal level, but I never really utilized right, it. Right. I was more so just following people. Kind of my utilization rate was way down. I hardly ever used it. Well, you were consuming, right? You probably weren't creating for the most part. I was a consumer and that's exactly the way I, where I saw it at the time. So I, I decided to be a creator essentially. And that transition was huge. Um, it was something I wasn't really anticipating being tough because I was, I was born with this, right? We came into the, this world and 
Um, it was just natural, right, to have the, uh, the social media in front of us. We understood how it worked. But to actually create on a consistent, uh, effective level is a different thing that you would, than you would expect. Yeah. So we came across and we were th- thinking two things. We're like, hey, obviously the, the main point of this account is finance, personal finance in general. But then how do we bring in, you know, how do we get more people involved with this? And we, we figured a lot of people like finance, but a lot of people don't. And my wife was one of those. I was the personal finance nerd, but she was, you know, she was on board with everything, but she wasn't, it didn't get her excited, right? So <laughs> yeah. my account came across and it was personal finance. I don't know if she would necessarily follow me, right? And she was like, hey, well, I love dogs and we got Nico. Um, and so we got Nico as a German shepherd and he was kind of part of our story, Along the way, we we paid off seventy six thousand dollars of debt in one year. Amazing, and he was part of that story because we got him in that year. So we figured to make him the face of Budget Dog, and so we we kind of combined the two. We we saw a few other accounts called like the the Budget Mom was out there, um, a few other accounts, and we're like, hey, let's make it Budget Dog. So we bring in the niche of personal finance and the niche of you know animal lovers or dog lovers, and bring it together and kind of start a personal brand. So that's kind of where the the account started. Now it's kind of changed since because uh, originally we had Nico as the face and the the logo and everything. And since we phased that out a little bit, but we still have him involved in the process. You, you know, I do IG lives from time to time and he'll be in them. Um, <laughs> nice. There'll be pictures. If you look at my homepage and my IG highlights, I have a whole long list of stories of Nico and Charlie, his sister doing the typical dog stuff, right? Day-to-day stuff. And that's kind of where it came about um and it's it's really really taken off yeah well it's 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 a great way to actually hook in people that would you know be more interested in or be interested in more than just personal finance right that's a great approach and then i just love how that there's something that you and your wife did as a team together so which one of you two are the entrepreneurial type was it both of you or you just kind of you know looked ahead and thought maybe we should try to you know, make a bit more money because things get more expensive or what was the thought process behind that? Yeah, to be honest, the, to answer the first question, who's more entrepreneurial, I, I would say her, to be honest. She's got the creative mindset. I, I'm more the type A, CPA type. Analytical? Yeah, very, very analytical, yes. But I do have a different, you know, a different side of me and I realized that through the creation of this whole account and, you know, what's going on is I right. guess I am a little more creative than I expected. So I do add some value to this account in, in the creative aspect, but I roll, I run with her almost on every single decision I make with it. Um, I run a pastor. I get, she gives me ideas all the time about different things that we can do to, cause it, it, you know, it's, I'm the face of it, but she's just as much behind the scenes as, you know, as what I do. Yeah. Well, it's great for your relationship too. Cause you both have a role in it. Right. So. Right. Right. It's, 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 it's a team effort. Um, we've thought about different ways of branding today, later today, we're doing an IG live and she's going to be on it. So there's things like that where she's really, she's part of it. She creates some of my content. She thinks of the ideas. She brought the, you know, the color scheme to, to fruition and all that stuff. So she's helped a ton. Not to mention she takes care of my dogs when I'm doing all this stuff as well. Uh, so I don't have to be taking care of that stuff. Right. No, teamwork makes the dream work. And then, yeah, sorry, just mm-hmm. like the, the need for this. Was it just that you guys saw the opportunity to, you know, start to build a bit of a presence online? Yeah. So we, you know, 2017, I think it was, was the year that we paid off the $76,000 of debt. So we started just kind of attacking our personal finance situation. Right. And it, it that at that point, we got Nico and it kind of ended, right? And then... You know, a year or two later, I started helping people after that situation. Um, we got through it. I've experienced a ton. I was in the industry as a CPA. And I was like, I have a gift. I have this knowledge to help people. And so that was my main drive. And one day we were sitting there like, how can we also, you know, 
bring extra income along the way. Like there's nothing wrong with that. You, you bring in X amount and you provide value 10, a hundred, a thousand times what you bring in. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's only going to help everybody. Um, yeah. and so that's kind of how it's, how it sparked. I think I had a week of PTO from, from work. So I was just kind of hanging out and she's like, why don't you do something? <laughs> and she, she thought of an idea and I was like, you know what, I'm going to, so we actually started with budget dog Academy, which is my course. And that's kind of how it sparked. It actually wasn't even an Instagram account. I just created a, in a financial course and then budget dog kind of sparked from it. Um, so it was kind of backwards of how it worked. Okay, nice. You kind of reverse engineered it with the product first. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which, which I highly, for any entrepreneurs out there, I do recommend to build an audience before you start selling. That was my number one mistake. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, <laughs> the experience goes a long way, right? But it's exactly, you can always do it over again. It, like, that's the thing. If you've never started, the thought of having to restart is probably the scariest thing ever. But then once you've started oh, man. and you realize, right, like once you can get that momentum and have done it before, it's like you the second time starting again, you're just going to do that much better of a job. Exactly. Yeah. And so where are you located? So I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm actually Northern Kentucky. I say Cincinnati, Ohio, because it's a suburb of Northern, Northern Kentucky is a suburb of Cincinnati, um, in the greater Cincinnati area. So I'm actually in Kentucky. I live right next to the Ohio River, and I work in Cincinnati. Okay, interesting. I didn't realize that uh, Kentucky was that close to the city of Cincinnati. So, yeah, they call it the tri-state. So it's Indiana, Ohio, and Kentucky, and we live like right on the the tip where we could probably hit Indiana, Kentucky, and Ohio within all twenty minutes. And so, did did you grow up there? I did. I grew up in Northern Kentucky, um, and I've been. I went down to the University of Louisville for college. There's about an hour and a half south of where I live. And then I came right back to my full-time position. I've been here ever since. And my wife as well. She's she grew up here, went to U of L, and she came back as also. It's a, it's a really good family, you know, family place to you know raise a family. It's, it's access to the city, so it's got kind of everything. Good, yeah. Well, it's a nice mix to have you know at least get a bit of land. You know, not be so boxed in with everything. Right. And what was the general consensus around money, just kind of in your family and then the environment growing up? You know, when I grew up, my, my parents, my mom was a teacher, so she, it wasn't like she was making a ton of money. Um, and my dad was a mortgage broker. So from time to time, based on the industry, he would do well. And, you know, there are some years that he does poor. I guess booms and busts, right? Every industry. Right. So it's volatile. And, but my parents always taught me, you know, at least my mom, she, she focused in on the, the giving, the saving, and the spending aspect of it. So every single week, we would nice. do our chores, right? And I would earn five bucks if I did my chores, I didn't complain and things got done without being asked twice. And so obviously that was partly, I was learning how to work and how to earn money. But also once I got that $5, she didn't just say, Hey, go spend it. She said, here are three envelopes. Here's a spend, here's a save, and here's a give. And so I'd have to put $2 in the spend, $2 in the save and $1 in the give. And every week we went to church and I'd have to put that dollar in, in the, uh, in the basket. And so that taught me from an early age, kind of, you know, and I didn't realize at the time what that was really teaching me. But looking back, I've realized how much that's helped me to realize, like, I don't need to do one to the extreme. I don't need to spend crazy. I don't need to save crazy. And I don't need to give crazy. Just be general of how to be um, reasonable and kind of allocate your money up all three places. Um, and you're going to be the best off, you know, from, from a spiritual place, from a health place, from, you know, mental health, all of those kind of areas to, yeah. to kind of better yourself. Yeah. Well, it seems it's also just kind of the, the point of being in control as opposed to letting it control you, right? Like 
Exactly. I, you know, I, I didn't necessarily grow up in a, in a wealthy house either or anything, but at least one thing that was, was for certain was just kind of like, know where you're at with your spend, with your cash. Absolutely. With, with the whole, th- this age of debt we're living through, right? Like the debt normalcy, it just, it makes that less popular because you can always have more dis- like at your disposal, but like th- that comes with a cost, right? If it's not managed well, so. Absolutely. And I've seen so many, so many horror stories of that. Exactly. And it's not something I wanted to get involved with. And well, I kind of did. Um, and tell like your debt. Yeah. Tell us, um, because I'm curious, like it's obviously amazing that you and your wife as a team makes it easier to kind of pay that down. But like, what were the rules you had to stick to? And then how do you stay disciplined through that process? Yeah. So when I first started, I, I was the CP, I was the nerd of the, of the relationship. So <laughs> right. I was the one in the spreadsheets. And when I showed her the spreadsheets, she looked at me like I had eight heads and she was like, I don't get this. I don't, this is stupid. Like, but that, but I, so I initially went, went at her like that said, Hey, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And here's all the spreadsheets to back that. And she had no idea what I was talking about. She, <laughs> she just had to good. trust you. Right. <laughs> right. And she, she's trust me one too many times where she's been burned. So <laughs> we've been doing yeah. things. So she was like, I don't know if this is another one of those things. And so with that, I had to kind of back up and think about why we were doing it. And so she, you know, I was always kind of controlling the money and taking care of all the bills and all that stuff. So she didn't really see the impact and the mental mental toll it had on me. But then when I kind of told her, hey, we're paying this off because we want to live free. We want to have kids and enjoy their lives. We want to be able to give them what they need without even thinking about it and just live life without the stress of money, which is, was so big. And so we broke it down and then I started to break down the actual spreadsheets for and explain, hey, we have $40,000 of student loans and, you know, we had a bed loan at the time. We had two car loans, Um, but just typical American stuff, right? Yeah, just that culture, right? Lifestyle. Yeah, it's it's just very normal to have student loans and all the car loans and stuff, but it was $76,000 of debt. And as a CPA, I looked at the balance sheet and I was like, most people don't understand what a balance sheet is, but for those that don't know is... You have your assets, what you own, and you have your liabilities, what you owe, and the difference is your net worth. And so people get this confused a little bit. An asset is, think of a bank account, your cash, right? Think of a car, think of a house. The values of those, if you sold it today. The liabilities are, you know, the mortgage on your house. So if you owe 200000 it's not the monthly payment, that would be on your budget, but it's actually the total balances. And so when people do these balance sheets, they, they realize, whoa, I have a lot more outstanding in, a more, you know, my mortgage is, says 350000 whereas my, my budget tells me it's $1,500 a month and it's within my re- within reason. But when you look at the balance sheet, it's, it's a lot more apparent of what you really, you got yourself into. And that's kind of how I saw it is, hey, I have $76,000 of debt. We can pay this and we can afford the monthly payments, but it's $2,000 in monthly payments we could also get rid of. And that would free up a lot more access cash flow to do a lot more things with what we want to do. Let's say we want to invest extra. Let's say we want to give extra or spend, like I was saying earlier, with maybe yeah. let's go on a vacation, a nice vacation. That $2,000 a month, that's $24,000 a year. That's a big difference in um, lifestyle. So if you have $76,000 of debt, well, that equates $2,000 a month. Well, that's $76,000 over three years, essentially. So three years of payments yeah. is that balance. and. So I looked at it as, hey, we need to get rid of this. Um, and so I put together the balance sheet, like I mentioned. I did a budget, the typical budget, but very, very detailed. And I actually have a link in my bio for the 
um, the free budget template I use personally for anybody to go download if they want. Nice. Yeah. People take advantage. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's what it's there for us to help. And then also I have a amortization schedule, what I call the debt free calculator, debt, debt payment calculator to enter all of our debts in at the time. So we can actually track the progress and see what was going on with our, the monthly picture. If we threw an extra 2000 to it, the whole spreadsheet and amortization schedule would update for me. Uh, so I could say, okay, if I put this extra 2000, this saves us, you know, maybe two months on this payment. And it was very, it was encouraging. It, it became a game to us, right? We yeah, saw gamified. every single month we could put X amount to this, to this debt. And by doing so, it would adjust our, our payoff schedule and pay, payment schedule. And that became exciting. So from there, we just kind of took off and it took a year, um, which was, you know, we were making a good income. But for anybody out there thinking that, you know, they can't do this, that's a lie. That's a, that's a lie that you're telling yourself because yeah. it's doable for anybody as long as you get on a detailed written plan. I work with clients all the time and almost every time my, they have a bunch of debt and they're like, hey, I can't pay this off. You know, it's going to be years. And so I, I, work with their, I work with them. I create a financial plan for them. And then I ask them before I give it to them because it's always funny to hear the reaction. I say, how long do you think your debt's going to be? take to be paid off. And so they always tell me, um, you know, 20 years or forever or lifetime. And almost every single time I get it within two years or less. It's amazing that they can't think past their own current situation, right? Like, right. It's, it's all mental. It's all emotional. It it's, it's an emotional yeah. answer. And they respond with 20 years because that tells me they haven't actually done the, the spreadsheets, the nerd stuff that actually gets you to where you want to be. And yeah. They're, they're telling me with emotion, you know, it's going to be forever. And that's, that takes a mental, mental toll on people. Uh, and that's what I like to kind of explain is, guys, this is doable. It's just you got to get on a detailed written plan. And if you, don't, yeah. if, you, if you don't know how to do that, contact me. Contact other professionals that can do it um, to get you where you need to be. Yeah. Yeah, it's so important, especially just like staying on top of your numbers because, you know, not everyone really needs to budget. But I think fundamentally you really just need to make sure that, when you hit like when payday hits some money is going somewhere else for whatever that purpose is right um you know like but it, it's just it's it's a it's a tough topic but it's so much psychology that we're not prepared for this in school or anything like that right and not at all it, it's it's terrifying now, so just just on to you like why do you, why is money such a valuable topic worth learning about so i would say that our society absolutely runs on the money, whether you whether you want to believe that or not, it does everything. From a think about your daily day, right? You wake up, um, you go to your job, you might get a coffee on the way. That costs money. You're driving, that costs that's gas money. You're going to work, which is to earn money, right? So it is literally, and you, you're eating food throughout the throughout the day. That costs money. And so when I when I look at that, I'm like, okay, it doesn't matter if you think it means something or not. And it, and a lot of people get the misconception that people in the money industry, per se, like myself, are obsessed with money. And that's the farthest thing from the truth. And they get this bad, you know, the, the bad connotation of, you know, yeah. they're greedy. They, they want just a bunch of money. They're capitalist pigs. A lot of times you hear it's stuff like that. And it's just not, that's not the case. Um, the, the, the purpose behind my account, behind what I do is to be free, to have that time back because if I have more time, I know I can fulfill my purpose and actually give, you know, my talents and my education to other people. And so that is 100% why I do what I do. It's not because mm -hmm. I want a lot of money. 
If it was, I wouldn't be driving my 2011 Hyundai Sonata that's paid off. Um, I would probably go buy a Tesla, right? Like if it really meant something to me, I don't care about the flashy stuff. Yeah. We live in a very modest home. Um, it, we bought it for 250. It's probably worth about 300,000 now. Um, and that's a Midwest standard home in America. So, you know, it's not really about the, the dollar value. It's really about having that time and freedom back to, to do more things and, yeah. you know, provide the talent to other people. And people just don't don't really understand that, right? Yeah. They, they think it's fully about maximizing the dollar, and it's just not. Yeah, they 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 see it through their own lens as opposed to an object, objective one. And the one thing I love about the internet is that it is exposing these structures that the financial services industry was built on in order to pry on people's lack of financial education, right? Yeah. So you find people like us on Instagram, we're doing this for free. Like we're the people that you want to ask questions to, but people tend to go back to the institutions where their money's at and they'll ask those people the questions. They'll get answers that confuse the hell out of them more than <laughs> they even went in. But they're like, well, this guy wears a suit and he's at this building. He must know what he's talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I talk about that a lot. <laughs> and and I, I just love that though, because it's like, it's all fundamentally living below your means just so that you don't owe anything to anyone, right? It's that freedom. Yeah. So, yeah. It's funny. I mentioned the, the guy in the suit example <laughs> quite a bit because the financial advice. So typically, guys, when you guys go to a uh, talk to somebody with money, you think financial advisor and those people charge you a percentage of your assets under management, which is AUM. And those, yeah. that percent might be only 1%, and they might sell you as it's only 1%. You obviously have the other 99%. But what that comes with is compounded, um, that 1% compounded over the lifetime of your investments. And that usually comes out to be if you have a substantial you know, amount invested that you're consistently investing – that can come out to be a couple hundred thousand dollars and that you could easily have back if you just did it yourself. Yeah. And DIY is easier than people think. Um, I'm a big believer in low cost index funds where you don't really have to do much. It's a passive investment strategy. Um, it's not, it doesn't consume your day. You don't have to pick the next hot stock. You just invest consistently for over a long period of time and things, you know, become a lot easier. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely so straightforward. And, it's just so important for people to realize that you, you probably don't know this, but guess what the average annual MER for active mutual funds is in Canada? I would say one and a half percent. It's 2.53%. Oh. Wow. wow. Right. That is scary. So that Morningstar, is scary. It is terrifying. Like that, that is literally why we'll have a generation of boomers and we have them realizing like, where's, you know, 60% of my money. That's scary. It's the, if the active, and the crazy thing is that this is Canada wide. This has been a thing for a long time. I figure I might have to start a petition or something, but then I'm going to get the attention <laughs> of the people with money in Canada. And you don't want to piss off the people with money, right? No, so, don't put a shutdown to you fast, right? Right. But it's just like that, you know, Canadians have the reputation of being too nice. And it's like, well, why are they still two and a half? You know, we don't have the population of the U.S., therefore we don't have the competition, but we also just, no one says anything. So they can, right? It's just crazy. So. That's absolutely terrifying. You can't see me right now, but I have chills in my legs from that. <laughs> yeah, man. And I mean, if that's what's interesting. is just like Canadians have no idea that in America, they wouldn't allow anything over 1% even close. Yeah, I mean, that's because what that amounts to is just to guys give you guys some perspective is that guy that you're paying is the 1%. Then he's probably picking like, like Jordan was saying, is active mutual funds that come along with an expense ratio and management expense ratio, MER, of 
2.25 or whatever that was. Yeah. And so that combined with the financial advisor, that is north of 3%. My example in my book, my ebook that I, I sell talks about up to 2%. I, in that, I can't remember the example exactly. I think it was, you know, you invest, you earn 7%, you're investing $500 a month for 30 years. Your contributions are 180. If you have 2% in fees, you would lose about $200,000 over the course of your lifetime. That's at 2%. Yeah. So add an extra percent and a half to that. And you guys can do the math of how crazy that is. And like, is, you know, it's nice to say you have a money guy, but is it worth going in once a year to not learn anything? And then 30 years later, be like, wait, that's how much I paid you. Yeah. And he, <laughs> and he doesn't, he doesn't care about your personal situation. He cares about the commission that he's earning off your investments. Yeah. Sadly. I mean, not saying there's, there's some good people in the industry. Absolutely. It's the structure. It's not the structure. people. It's, it's the structure. structure. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and that's what's so hard to change because imagine you're a decent human being that gets that job and then you realize what you're really selling and like you're, you're a fiduciary for the institution, not, not necessarily the client, especially when you're a sales right. rep, not, not a legitimate portfolio manager. Yeah. That's the difference. Exactly. It, it's, it's crazy. But anyways, this could be, I don't want to take up too much of your time on this topic, but thanks for sharing that, that insight, man. Now, did, did your life change much from February, 2020 to April, 2020 this year? To be honest, no. The short answer is no. Um, my job, so I'm a, I'm a CPA at a big four firm, like I said earlier. So we right. were at our clients all the time. So we were technically virtual from an office. We didn't, we don't, we have a downtown office, but we hardly ever go there. You know, I would say as a percentage Throughout the year, we might show up 5% to the actual office. Right. So not really. Um, luckily, I was fortunate to keep my job. My wife was fortunate to keep her job as well. So we didn't have any Good. income differences. The only difference would be, you know, we couldn't go to the store. Um, we had to wear masks. The gym was shut down. The, the typical things everybody dealt with. But overall, we were very fortunate. Nothing bad happened. Nobody got sick near us that, you know, passed away or anything crazy like that. Um, so luckily, no. Good. It's just something to be so grateful for, right? Because fundamentally, it's like you're still in a good spot. All you have to do is be a little bit like, I don't know, just be patient. Right. And, you know, we're, we're lucky. And one thing I just want to point out is that most people that I've brought on the podcast and asked uh, the same question, because they have a good, you know, grasp on their financial situation, they've been able to get through this, uh, you know, unscathed compared to others. So I think that's just one theme of this that, you know, that's why you want to be in control of your money. Because when something like this happens, you're at that much of an advantage. And did you feel the same way? Yeah. So that's, that's a big difference is, so a lot of people look at the budget and they say, Hey, I can afford these monthly payments. And then something like this happens where mm. you lose your job right? Yeah. or something bad goes south and you can't necessarily get out of those payments because those payments come with a larger liability that you don't have the ability to pay off. And so if people understand the balance sheet, which I like to preach about as a CPA, they're going to understand that those payments are probably scarier than they actually look month to month. Mm -hmm. But not having those $2,000 in payments, like I mentioned earlier, really gave us flexibility. Like, hey, if we lost our job, one of us, we would be totally fine. Like we could live on your salary. We could live on her salary or mine. We had the emergency fund. That was also huge. So we had six months saved up in cash if something happens, we could live on, literally both of us could lose our job and we could be totally fine for at least six months, probably a little more at the end of the day. Right. So, so important though, right? Like right, huge. Right. Because you think with a different mindset, you don't think with that scarcity mindset. You think, you know, 
I, I have flexibility here. I, I'm not nervous. I'm not reacting. I'm, you know, I'm thinking through the situation fully. If something happens, you know, for at, at one point I was like, we, my wife might lose her job. I might lose my job. I don't know, but I didn't freak out about it because I knew we were set up and, you know, if worse came to worse, it, it would be okay. Yeah. And well, it's just kudos to you, man, for tackling that debt in that one year, because now you don't also have that, that overhang of lenders, you know, um, which, you know, a lot of people, I don't think they realize, but you know, COVID's not over. And unfortunately, probably in the next six to nine months, it's going to be a lot of, uh, lenders looking to get their money back and a lot of foreclosures in different areas, right? Oh, trust me. They'll, they'll come at you full force. They, those lenders are not friendly. And it's just, that's terrifying. And that's one thing that I've, I'm, you know, being proactive, listening to podcasts and hearing that I'm like, crap, you know, this, it's not going to be over just yet. And unfortunately that, that, you know, when that crash usually comes, what we saw in March um, and, you know, a big situation like this where people are struggling, that's why it's so important to just try and get money out to people because, that that is going to happen in six to nine months. So yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I- interesting. But uh, and any uh, here. So let, let's jump into the the big three questions. So I like to ask the guests, Brennan, what are three of the biggest investments you've made in yourself over your lifetime that helped get you to where you are today? Um, I would say my number one would be my wife. My wife. Um, nice. Absolutely. Um, having a significant other that's kind of like a team teammate some point is huge dude it's everything because that's all the relationship is it's like i'm choosing it to is. commit to you right that's it and if you have people going the opposite way i mean it's almost impossible to achieve any goal if you guys if, if you know if, if back let's say in 2017 when i was paying this debt off if she was like hey i want to go get my purse my new purse and this means a lot more this new car i want you to go buy me a new car and i was trying to pay off the debt that wouldn't just be a money issue. That would be a, a, a relationship issue. Right. Um, yeah. So having a significant other that's on the same page as you, don't have to agree with everything. Obviously, you guys can disagree on some things, but overall, arching principles, life principles on the same page is huge. So I'd say that'd be my number one. Good. My number two would be paying off the debt and living with a, a, a debt-free, li- you know, the debt-free lifestyle. I think that, like I said, people people think the payments are okay, but you just walk different. You, you think different. You you operate differently. Um, opportunities. I love that, man. It's so true. Yeah. Opportunities come your way. Like we we bought this real estate next door. Um, there was land available, and we have a house that sits between two empty lots. And we weren't expecting to kind of buy this lot, but uh, March 2020 hit, and it dropped 50 percent in value or wow. cost at least. It's so it's so worth you know the price of the price we thought so, but um. We got it for fifty percent off. Well, it went on so so tech. Sorry, just it went on sale from where it was down fifty percent, basically. Exactly, and we had the the no debt, and we had a bunch of cash sitting there, and so that opportunity came to us, and we could think with the mindset, a clear mindset of saying, "Hey, let's go buy that." Like, why why wouldn't we? We want that lot already, and it's available to us at fifty percent off. Let's go do it. It's next door. Let's go oh, do it. Dude. <laughs> Amazing. Exactly, and so we saw that as a prime opportunity. And I think if we were in the midst of paying off debt or if we still had debt payments, we would say, uh, we probably need that cash on hand in case something goes wrong. You know, it's just a different right. mindset. Oh, man, facts. That's a brilliant response. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And number three. And so number three, I would say the passive investment style that I have you know, implemented into our financial situation. So there are lots of things out there when it comes to investing and it could be day trading, it could be 
um, cryptocurrency, it could be Forex, it could be a lot of things, right? Um, even stock picking, right? And I have nothing against that necessarily, but the statistics tell tell me that they do, it doesn't work for most the majority of people. And so yeah. I would rather put myself in a position where I don't have to think much about it. I don't have to be the most genius person on the planet to, to do this investment strategy, but I'll still come in the top 10 to 15% of investors uh, based on numerous statistics and be okay. So why not just stick my money there, consistently invest and automate all of those investments to to take care of my future and to pay myself today for my future. Yeah, dude, that's way to minimize risk. Jack Bogle says it best, right? It's like, no matter what, if you look at the data, whatever any of these active managers say, the data proves that you'll beat 95% of them. It's, it's wild. There was a statistic yeah. that I was at, that's actually Jack Bogle is one of my main guys. And in my investing course coming up, I actually dropped what you're talking about right here. So I think it was 2000, I can't remember the dates off the top of my head, maybe 2003 to 2019, um, the 15 year period between their 2018 or so, something was 92% of active mutual fund managers lost the S&P 500. So if you simply invested into the S&P 500 and didn't do anything, you, you would be in the top you, 8% of them. Right. And like you just didn't sell through 2008 to 2010, which right? would have made people want to sell. But if you could hold through that, carry on, yeah. Right. And, and that's the thing. If, if you're, you don't have debt, you don't have to worry about selling. Like exactly. you, you have right. to understand your risk profile. And if, as long as you're in a good position, you, you will operate differently. Like I mentioned earlier, that number two, point, point number two with the debt-free mindset is you don't need that money. So if it dips, look at it as a buying opportunity, buy the dip, buy some more. And long-term your portfolio is going to be absolutely out of this world. Yeah. No, I, I like that a lot, dude, how you say that too. Because like literally you get your money in order, you operate as a different human. I feel it. Yeah. I feel like so. No, that, that's brilliant, man. Thank you. And I, that, that actually leads into the next question. So what type of investor are you? Long-term index funds and then real estate so far? Yeah, that's uh, pretty much the bulk of my portfolio is long-term index funds and low-cost index funds through long-term and um, in real estate. Um, and I think that's going to probably, I mean, I'm only 28 years old. Uh, I have a lot of life to live, so things can change. But at the same time, I do think that that's going to be my strategy most most of my life. I can't really see myself getting much into bonds. Um, I can't really see myself getting into to stock picking. I could see maybe a small percentage of my portfolio, less than 10% yeah. specifically, maybe allocate towards um, individual stocks, maybe like a big blue chip stock like Apple or Amazon, um, something that's very safe, but also has pretty positive returns that could beat the market. Right. Um, not that I'm going to try to, you know, gain, gamify that and beat the market, but I could see myself adding that. I could see myself also adding additional real estate, um, either through the REITs, which is like a real estate investment trust. I, I own um, a REIT. I love it. Monthly dividends. REITs. It's the best. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've thought about adding that to the portfolio. Like I said, I'm 28, so I have time. Also maybe rental properties, but I don't, you know, the reason I would do a REIT really is because I wouldn't want to deal with the tenants, um, the daily hassle, the broken down, you know, stuff in the house that you'd have to take care of. So I could see myself adding, a, a, you know, some REITs to the profile too. Yeah. Well, I mean, imagine, you know, whether it's 15 grand or 20 grand for a down payment or that put into one or two different REITs that are fairly diversified, it'll compound fast enough. So at least you can weigh those options out. But that's the thing, right? Like just kind of honing down on that financial literacy at least allows you to confidently alter your decision making when you learn new valuable information that could help. Yeah. And it's just, it's fascinating that, you know, it should be normal, but in our society or in our culture, for some reason, 
changing your mind can be seen as a weakness. I don't know why. It, it, when you learn, right? Yeah, absolutely. When you learn new information, it's like, hey, you know, how, how else are you going to live and learn and, and develop new skills and understandings and whatnot? So, um, but no, that's good, man. You're covering all the bases. And then that's why I just try to tell people, look, like, just start, learn as you go. And once you see that it works, you're going to be like, okay, I get it, right? Right, right. And people close to you are going to start, as you change, they're going to start to doubt you or disagree with you, I guess you could say, um, and question why you're changing. And it's only a normal part of life, but I've, I've experienced it over the last couple of years with a lot of growth I've had is people close mm-hmm. to me, such as family and friends will say, why are you doing this? Like, I don't understand. Well, probably because at 19 years old, my focus was not on this and it was on partying. Well, I hope I change from 19. If I don't, that's a problem. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, the, and, and, but the best part is, is once you've stuck to that and, and you see the benefits, they see what's, what you've kind of become, right? That's a good point. Um, recently, so budget dog, like I said, 17 months old. So it's in its infancy stage, but it's had a lot of success lately. Had a lot of clients, had a lot of sales with my, my book has been a hot seller. Congrats, man. And thank you. Thank you. And a lot of people around me are following me on Instagram and social media and stuff. And they've, seen it. Um, they've seen the actual success. Cause at first they kind of doubted it. They thought it was, you know, something fun. I was just kind of doing it on the side and now they're seeing these sales that I'm posting, um, and making very apparent. And all of a sudden, a lot of people want to do the same thing. Um, right. and so they start to see the success. Um, I have people asking me, my friends and family asking me about my low cost index fund strategy that they never were interested in earlier when I was talking about, but now that it's public, and it's you know helping a lot of people, and I'm showing the gains that I personally have. They've become very interested in, in it. Yeah, and it's just even that they'd be like, you know what? There there's some benefit to you know to trying to pay off your debt or to get your money in order, and uh, you almost lead by example, and it, you glow a little bit, right? And and yeah, your family and your friends will notice that, and um, they start to see what you saw all along. So it's comforting, right? So last few before, uh, are you are you okay for time? We have we have plenty of time. Okay, cool, man. Because um, you mentioned, I wanted to ask you to talk a little bit about the 529 plan. I saw that on your feed and, you know, any best thing parents can do is really start investing young for their kids and then, you know, show them what they're doing and make that a bonding experience over time. But so what is the 529 plan and how can that help parents? Yeah, so simply the 529 plan is a college education tool, savings tool for your children's education. And this is a, and this is in the U.S., of course, right? Correct. This is in the U.S. and... I highly recommend for any any parent out there trying to save for their children's education in the future to open a 529. So I'm actually working with a company called ScholarRaise, um, who has an excellent 529. And you know, from a flow fee investing perspective, they are where it's at, and that's mm-hmm. kind of where why I kind of partnered with them because um, all 529s operate differently, and there's one per state. There, you know, there's or there's statewide um, 529 plans. So. There's different tax advantages and stuff, but at the end of the day, it's it's simply a vehicle that you can put money in and you can grow tax-free for your kids' education. And at the age of 18, they can take it out and pay for college and not have to worry about the student debt and the student debt crisis that we've all been dealing with here in America. Yeah, it's real, man, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, and well, just curious then on that note, you know, is there much of a difference between, let's say, taking or using the 529 plan? versus opening a custodial Roth IRA for your child? You know, is there any difference or would both plans essentially get the same result? Yeah, so the difference there would be the amount of contribution that you could put into the account. So 529s pretty much have no limit. Oh, that's dope. I think there's technically some limits out there per state, but I want to say they're north of like 
couple hundred thousand. Like n- nobody's going to do that, right? Based on you know what the five twenty nines are meant to do. And with a Roth, well, you can only contribute up to six thousand. So, and if you were opening a custodial Roth for your ch- or a Roth IRA for your child, you can only actually invest if they're below eighteen up to the amount that they earn and file taxes with. So that's a big deterrent. Oh. Um, but there's also something called an UPMA, a Uniform Transfer to Minors Act, and also a Uniform Gift to Minors Act, which is the custodial account which parents also opt to use for. Not only just education, but anything. And that's the difference. So the custodial account can be focused on maybe a down payment for a house, maybe a car, um, anything really. The problem with the custodial account is it becomes the minors at the age of 18. And that poses a huge question mark for the parent. What if my kid doesn't deserve it? What if I don't want to give them all this money? Well, it's theirs at 18. So I don't know. You feel different than when they're a baby than when they're 18. <laughs> I can tell you my parents thought a lot differently about me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if they would have given me that money at 18 years old, but if they set that up, it would be it would be mine regardless of what they thought. And Smart, yeah. So my, my take on that, honestly, is, you know, first off, figure out what your goal is for saving for your kid. Is it education? If it's education, it's purely education. Go the 529 route um, or educational savings route is also another option um just purely on you know education if you want to do like a down payment or something else realize that that comes with consequences possibly i mean if you raise a a good kid you know a well-balanced kid that that comes at the age of 18 with a mature aspect um well that's fine they you know they they got it um but something i always often tell, tell parents when thinking through this is don't tell your kid that you're saving for them because there comes to be entitlement with that And when there's entitlement, they might say, screw you, mom and dad. Like I'm 18 years old. It's mine. I don't, you get, you guys can't do anything about it now. And that could be, that could be an ugly process. So I always say psychologically, yeah, hundred percent. Right. And you know, I know myself at 18 years old, I'm not going to say I would have done that, but I could say, I could see how that's very easily, that that situation could be easily done. Um, I have a family member that has 16 year old that kind of went off the rocks, but they have that, this custodial account in their name. Um, and he's really, really worried about giving it to her. So it's hers. If she's smart enough to figure out 18, she has one, then it is hers at the end of the day. Right. Well, I find it just so interesting though, because do you think like, you know, had that parent introduced that account to their kid when they were 12 and explained to them what it was and then they revisited it every six months. Do you think there'd be a different sort of relationship towards the account? Yeah. I think if Probably. you te- think if you teach your kids a, you know, just overall, you know, the concept of money from an early age and you know, you, you parent, you actually parent. Uh, I think yeah. most people want to run into that situation where you have a rebellious child, but, but teenagers are rebellious by nature. Yeah. So, there's no telling at the end of the day, but I think it would definitely be a different relationship for sure. Yeah, I just, I, I you know, because money is not something we've talked about in the past, that we're seeing the results of that, right? And mm-hmm. we're seeing these kids go into debt because they're like, well, I was promised this degree that was going to get me a job. And it's like, well, hey, sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry about your luck. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, well, if, if you paid attention, and not, not to say that it's anyone's fault, but it's just more that like, you know, there's a good chance that you have a better understanding of your money if it's something that you could talk about in your family growing up. And if Absolutely. it's something that you could talk about, you're more likely to be have troubles with debt. And it's it's just like, okay, well, if 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 this is kind of evident, how do we fix this, right? Or yeah, how do we go about this? So mm-hmm. um, 
It's communication. Every relationship. Husband, wife, parent, and kid. You gotta have communication. So interesting, but um, yeah, fundamentally, just one last thought on that. Do you think it's uh, like, what's your take on, on taking the money out and using it for school as opposed to keeping it invested, you know, and not telling your kids so that maybe your kid figures out a way to pay for school themselves or at least get a grant and whatnot. But then you've kept that money invested for them for, let's say, another 10 years and that 100000 has become a couple hundred thousand. What's your take on that? That would be a really, really awesome decision from a parental <laughs> perspective. And it, Sneaky, yeah, right? It, yeah. It'd be a really cool. I've actually never really thought of that, like like how you said it, but that's a really good point. Um, I think that could be really well done from a parent's perspective. And then at, let's say, 28 years old, they take that out and they have 200000 and they have a, a fully paid for house or something like that. So I could see a huge yeah. benefit to that. It, it's really up to the parent, right? So the parent's discretion, what's yeah. their ultimate goal for this money? Um, and that's the first question you ask yourself. Before you even dive into any account, any amount of money that you're going to invest, what you're going to invest in, why am I doing this? What's the end goal? Start with the end goal and then work your way backwards into figuring out how much I need to invest, what do I need to invest in, which account, all of that stuff. Yeah, man, that's it. And it's just like with intent, right? You know, try to have some intent behind your decisions, especially with where you're putting your money, because I think that makes a big difference too. But um, yeah, yeah, communication is key at the end of the day. Now, well, Mm -hmm. you seem like you've been raised by, you know, pretty money conscious and great parents to, to, you know, give you kind of the, uh, the foundational principles and the knowledge you have. So who are some of your biggest role models uh, in investing, but then also just in general? Yeah, in general, um, since I've gotten into this finance game, I, I love Warren Buffett. I know that's a pretty common common one that probably pops out. Um, yeah. So I don't want to sound too cliche with that. I would say Ray Dalio is another one. I love what he has to say. And they come with different perspectives. So I like to see that. I love Jack Bogle. Um, so these are all people that you know I don't necessarily know personally, obviously, but they're national icons, global icons, you know, at that. Yeah. And there are people I follow and listen to regularly. I might go into YouTube and just watch, type in Jack Bogle and just watch videos, just hear him talk, hear the insight and wisdom that he speaks with. Um, obviously, he's passed away since, but, you know, he he's brought so much wisdom and I like to learn that kind of stuff. I like to learn from people that have done it and experienced because you can go to a college classroom and learn a bunch of stuff through a textbook, but it doesn't always translate to the real life picture in and so I like to I like to learn from people with wisdom versus just pure facts or education. Yeah, no, that's so important. And like when you just think of some of the, you know, we grow up with pop culture such an influence, but you could imagine getting people inspired by Buffett and and Bogle in their teens. Like these are real role models that change the world for the better by creating the index fund for us, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, rest in peace, Jack Bogle. He's a legend. I love Jack Bogle. Yeah, he's the man. Do you did you follow do you follow Charlie Munger at all? Yeah, yeah, uh, Buffett's the right hand man. Um, yes, yeah, I, man, love, I love I love poor Charlie's almanac. I read yeah. that in the summer. So I actually didn't mention Charlie, but um, so I recently posted something about my six uh, role models, and so the three I mentioned are on that. But Charlie also made the list as well, um, nice. and he he's awesome. Um, somebody else, the other two that I guess I got to tell the whole list now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Ramsey like- and uh, David Meltzer are the other two that made the list. So I, I love, love both of them. Good. Yeah, man. Well, it's just important to have these role models. And um, just curious, were you a big reader during your education process or the formal process? Or did you start becoming more of a reader once you got interested in 
finance outside of that sort of environment. Exactly that. Um, I hated reading. I didn't. I don't think I read a. I think yeah, I read. Me too. I think I read Spark Notes. Uh, and there's there's things out there that provided the summary of the actual book itself. Um, <laughs> I think I might have read. I mean, okay. So I take that back. When I was in first grade, I, I did like this the series called Horrible Harry. Um, okay. Just like I don't even remember what it was about to be honest. But in first grade, I think I read every single Horrible Harry book out there. Um, there was another book I got really into on the way, I think maybe sixth grade, I started reading it, but, but there was never a book that like cl- the classroom was like, Hey, you guys need to read this. And I would read it. I would find ways to get around that every single time. And I hated it um, <laughs> Me too. because it was things that you don't want to learn about. <laughs> and that's kind of what this, the educational system's like, you, you got to learn what they teach you. But then I got out of school and I, I started branching off and really like trying to self-educate myself in a lot of different topics. And I got, I love like listening to books more so than reading them, but absolutely all the time. Um, I have a podcast on almost every time I get in the car, a, you know, maybe I'll listen to this one after this (laughs) to reinforce what I'm I'm teaching. Um, But then like other, you know, podcasts, books, books on tape, all that kind of stuff. I love, love that now. Um, So definitely after the formal education was done, I started reading a lot more. Right. Well, that's great, man. And, and whether you're reading or listening to, to the book, you know, it's like just imagining knowing that there were different types of learners when we were in school and, you know, focusing on what our strong suit for learning is. It's, it's a big game changer. Yeah, it is. And I mean, I just I do hope that slowly but surely we can uh, improve the education system and just try to make it more. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not an easy task, but just, you know, the whole red tape of, of big bureaucracy gets in the way and um Thank goodness we've got the internet so that people can jump on here and cut to the chase. Yeah, yeah. Internet's a beautiful place. Oh, Lots it is. of knowledge on it. Just have to kind of sort it out. Yeah, and I mean that's a skill in itself that takes a lot of practice, right? Yeah. And, experience, experience, experience. Yeah. And well, I guess maybe because I, I just I'm realizing too that there's a lack of education in that and in helping people identify what's real online and what's what's fake or what's an advertisement and what's not and um, I just think, you know, you, you mentioned you're 28. So am I. So it's just like we were born in this this period where, you know, we got introduced to MSN and Napster at the beginning. And then like, <laughs> yes, yes. Right? And then like, so, so we've had enough experience to know our way around, but then also to know that it's still like, you know, don't get too loose and give away information on there. Right. And whatnot. So it's just, I find right. it fascinating. What a time to be alive. So it really, it really is. <laughs> yeah. And so with, with all this, what's the long-term goal for budget dog? Like, do you realize that like the entrepreneurial uh, goal or venture is not that far out now? And, and what, how has that changed since you started the account? I do. And that's a good question. Um, when I first started, I just kind of blindly started. I had no idea. I just kind of jumped in and said, Hey, screw it. I'm just going to do this, do this thing and see what happens of it. Um, and recently, you know, as, as time's gone on, I've learned a ton about the industry and it's something that's absolutely mind blowing. Once you get into it of, the the revenue streams that can come from it and how you can actually create a business and so i'm working on doing that and i think you know my long-term vision is absolutely to do this 110 percent of my time and fully dedicate myself to this um and i know that's going to take some time and who knows how long that takes i don't have an exact date um but i know it's worth my time and it's what i want to do so it's something i'm passionate about and i'm going to definitely be focusing on that um over the coming years so you know, the future is unknown, but I think it's going to be positive in the long run. 
Definitely. And and then just curious, like, are you only on Instagram for now? Or you mentioned Twitter, are you planning to get onto any other platforms? Yeah, so I have an Instagram, obviously, and that's at budget dog. And then I also have a Twitter. Um, that's at budget dog underscore. Um, they budget dog was already taken by somebody with zero followers and zero tweets and zero following. Oh, did you message them to get the account? Yes, I did. Uh, <laughs> I haven't heard a response. I don't think they're very probably active. never logged in, right? Yeah. So that's a bummer. Um, yeah. And then I'm also on Facebook as well. So, I, so my my personal my obviously I have my business page, which is at budget dog. Um, but I also have my personal technically account. It's Nico. It's Nico Schlagbaum. Long story behind that is Nico is my, is the budget dog officially, right? He's my dog. Um, his name is Nico and, but I need to change the name to Brennan, um, my name, but I'm still in the process of doing that, (laughs) but you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm also obviously on LinkedIn as a professional. So you guys can see my certifications and all everything there as well. Um, so four platforms as well, or as of now, maybe looking yeah, at good. a fifth eventually. Yeah, man. Well, it, it they're all they're out there and growing, right? And I don't know if you've tried TikTok, but I've I've had a lot That's of. What I was thinking about. <laughs> I've had a lot of. Well, I've had the most fast success with with them, and um, like you say, just you know, I'm I'm glad I started because it's brought me some opportunity, and I've just been lucky because of that. So, but I, I guess because I'm venturing onto YouTube now, and I'm trying that long term, but. Um, it's just good, you know, once you start on one platform, get into the others, it's just, you know, better to have an online presence in 2020 than not, I think. So I agree. And actually TikTok is the one I was thinking about. I do have a YouTube technically. I haven't really started it or, uh, there's just a lot going on. Right. So I'm trying to slowly build this. Um, I feel you, man. Right. Like it's so many (laughs) ideas. There's only so much time in a day when you're working a job too. So, oh, exactly. So I'm working as a, at at the big four and you know, that requires a lot of time. I'd say 60 hours minimum. A week and so a lot of my time does go to that obviously there's there's other time the gym is part of that you know i do have a wife with two dogs so they take that takes time well i was um, gonna say you got to keep a prime partner prime right like, yeah, you gotta... exactly so there's a lot of things that are involved but i'm using every bit of outside time to this like a hundred percent of my time goes to this outside of that good so tiktok was the other thing i was thinking about we need to talk about that more yeah, for sure, man. Well, I, I I can give you some tips on the hashtag game, and uh, just good to get on there and get started. But like you know, like Instagram, it's not as saturated. And then if you can find any hashtag in your niche, uh, like I like to use investing one hundred and one, uh, learn to invest. These are hashtags that are. That's the name of my book. Is it? There you investing go. Investing one hundred and one. <laughs> so, but so the hashtags in this area can re- like so on TikTok. What I found success with, and so anyone listening, hopefully you can try this. But if you can find hashtags between 1 million and then 5 million or like 1 million and 10, um, just because a lot of hashtags on on TikTok have hundreds of billions of views. It's crazy. So mm-hmm. it's like if you can find that million to 10 million sweet spot, that's how I've had success. So I'm not saying it'll work for everyone, but give it a shot once you do it. So my experience with TikTok actually is my my nephews, they, they get on it and mess around. They're young. They're like tw- 10 and 12 years old. And they do all these dancing videos. So that's my that's my understanding of TikTok. I do know it's <laughs> it's meant for other things. Um, Dude, it's 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 a dance platform or it's it's a music platform, but it's now an education platform because you can learn anything on there just like YouTube. So it's so, really cool. so as far as content, is it is it quick videos type of things to teach bullet point information? Yes, yeah. So either fifteen seconds short or from fifteen to sixty seconds. But I follow some like scientists, some NASA employees. I follow all these different because I think professionals that feel restricted in a certain industry, they've realized that you can get paid a lot of money for creating content 
if you know what the hell you're talking about and you can deliver it in a simplified way. Yeah, so, that's a that's a hack. I mean, being able to exactly, deliver yeah. in a simplified way is the way of the future. And it's also showing that you can actually break it down and teach it. Yeah, and, and that, it's showing that you're not reliant on the, you know, the middlemen to, to, like, you can do this yourself, right? I think that's the coolest part of it. Yep. But, but I guess it's some way, too, for, like, yeah, teachers or people restricted in a job to at least, like, people have built followings extremely quick. So it'd be something that you can try and do and just realize that, like, get on there, do the same thing you're doing on Instagram, and then get offered to, well, I'm sure on Instagram, too, you might get offered some some sort of uh, influencer deal or offer kind of thing but that's that's happened already on tiktok for me so it's been helpful wow that's incredible yeah well, what's your following at uh twelve thousand followers that's fast yeah oh thanks well it's funny because it took me the whole year to get there but i guess you know maybe in canada in the personal finance niche or in the podcasting niche there's not too many others so uh yeah either way glad i started right it's one of those things yeah <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Start now, guys. Yeah. And like I, like, I can be happy to say that I worked with Anchor and like our biggest robo-advisor, Wealthsimple. And like Anchor is the Spotify wow. owned, Anchor is the platform owned by Spotify that hosts the podcast. Yeah. Like, yeah. Really dope. But yeah, man, try it out. Uh, well, we can chat about that after. But uh, so last thing, man, before we go, is there anything that you learned recently that you found very important and worth sharing with the audience? Trying to think, I, you know, I was thinking through that earlier, and um, I think the biggest thing is, and this is not even finance related, but to listen, especially with my clients. So I've been working with a lot of clients one on one, and I, you know, this has been ongoing for a year. And not that I wasn't listening before, but being able to really step back and not tell anybody anything and just ask a question and listen to what they actually want, and then provide the solution from that is a huge game changer. And it has been for me, especially recently with my clients. I used to kind of create financial plans based on what I know works, but now I'm kind of kind of taking a step back and saying, okay, I'm going to look at what you want, what your goals are, and really navigate based on what I know and make it work for you because that's more beneficial. So I, I think that's the number one thing I've learned recently. Not that I didn't know that before, but to really understand versus just hearing that, listen more than you speak, obviously, is a huge, a huge difference. Well, it's funny. You hear that a lot, right? But once you start practicing it and listening to understand, it makes such a difference. So, yeah, and I mean, the people that you're helping it, you know, exactly. You're helping, you're reaching them on their personal side and you're, you're showing them more or less than telling and that that just makes all the difference. So customize. I'm sure people don't believe me after this podcast, though, because I've probably done the most talking on this. <laughs> but, but I guess this is somewhat of an interview, so I'm supposed to do that. <laughs> No, it's good. I mean, hey, anyone listening here too is at least taking some sort of initiative to, yeah, be more proactive than reactive, right? Whether it's with money, whether it's with entrepreneurship. And you've dropped a ton of knowledge. So thank you for that, Brennan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. But um, awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Brennan. And just one more time, where can people find uh, what you offer online? So they can go to my any social media platform I have, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Just go to the link in my bio, and you will see all the services and products I offer. Um, pretty simple to find. If not, just DM me. I always re- respond to all my DMs. Um, so that would be the answer. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much, Brendan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome, man. And that is it for episode 69, everyone. You can catch Brendan at Budget Dog. And you can hear this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, and at anchor.fm slash highly invested. 
you got some value out of this episode, please share it with any friends or like-minded individuals. And if you particularly learned something that you didn't know before, consider going to leave a review or a rating as it really helps out my podcast and I really do appreciate it. That being said, I want to thank you all so much for tuning in. This is your host, Hiley, and this is your host, Jordan Hiley, signing off. Stay highly invested in yourselves. Till next time.